Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome to the show. Ready to do that thing again. A lot of stuff going on out there. A lot of stuff. And it can be hard to make sense of it all. One thing is clear, though. Talking about the Ukraine, it's the new coolest thing. Everybody's doing it. However, I'm not interested in what legacy media, the Ministry of Information folks, are selling on this. You know, the whole Trump-Russia possible collusion game. Yeah, all those carnival barkers who misinformed everyone for two years, they're still out there doing God knows what. I know, my show is not nearly as exciting as a full-blown media conspiracy to subvert the results of a duly held election. But I'm just not interested in trying to manipulate your opinion by force-feeding you silly fairy tales. Nope, that's not what I do. I'm going to do more of the documentary-style stuff because there's so much interesting information out there in the public record. Today, I have for you the Ukrainian Mania episode. It's going to be a legit look at the information that's out there. And yes, I know it's the Ukraine, not Ukrainia, but I want to keep it light and bouncy here on the big podcast show. So we're going with Ukrainian Mania. It's running wild in the streets. Yeah, brother. But for real. What the hell is going on in the Ukraine? The president of the United States, he definitely had a phone call with the Ukrainian president. There's no doubt about that. The comms memo of that call has been released. We can all read the recap. So what's up with the freakout? I'm not talking about the whacked out cable news narratives. I mean the legit context of the situation in the Ukraine. Is anyone interested in knowing more about that? If so, I think I can help. Because it's all pretty straightforward. There are basically two parts of Ukrainian mania, and they don't really overlap. The two parts are, number one, the 2016 election interference, and number two, the family Biden. Both really simple. It's not going to be a long show, but it's going to be a great show. Ah, you like that lounge music? I do. I'm a huge broadcasting enthusiast. I've mentioned this before. You might even recall that I've used the Howard Stern belch technique in earlier episodes. This right here, the lounge music bed, it's a modified Pharrell. Scott Pharrell, do you know him? Pharrell on the bench, sports talk guy. He's got one of those gravelly voices. Uh, it's Pharrell on the bench. We're hanging out. Got a bunch of badasses with a who and a ha. How can I be the man when you're the man? That guy. Yeah, I think he even did hockey play-by-play for a minute. Um, Florida Panthers, maybe. I don't know. Whatever. The important part is that Scott Farrell does his talk show, and he would have, like, Metallica and stuff playing the entire time. And it was weird, but I liked it. So I borrowed the idea. I just went with a softer lounge vibe here. Maybe that was subtly influenced by Mitch Hedberg. Love Mitch. And he used to have an upright bass player join him on stage when he was doing stand-up comedy sometimes. It was really cool. Anyway, I could talk about men's fashion and audio production all day, but I'm afraid work must intrude. We need to sort of fill in the blanks on the Ukraine. Once again, two primary areas for us to cover, the 2016 election interference and the family Biden. Let's take 2016 election interference first. This one is super easy because a court has already ruled on it. Yeah, you heard that correctly. 
It was a Ukrainian court, which is obviously a distinction worth noting. However, that ruling is in. Dateline, Kiev, December 2018. Court issues a ruling. And what is that ruling? Well, the court held that individuals in the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian parliament acted illegally when they disclosed information about Paul Manafort to U.S. political operatives during the spring and summer of 2016. The court found that the U.S. political operatives were from the Democrat National Committee, the DNC, and the DNC had requested and received information about Paul Manafort from the Ukrainian government with the specific intent to interfere in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Whoops. (laughs) Did you get that? During the spring of 2016, in the midst of a presidential election cycle, operatives from the Democrat National Committee approached Ukrainian government and parliamentary officials and encouraged them to act illegally by disclosing information about Paul Manafort. Hmm. Guessing that's the first time you've heard about that. Isn't it an extinction-level event to ask for info on a political opponent from a foreign government? I feel like I've heard that a lot lately. Anyone else hearing that? Anyone else out there hearing that it is a threat to our very democracy for anyone to ask a foreign country for dirt on a political opponent? Well, the DNC did it. The Democrat National Committee did it in 2016. There is a complete case file. It's been out for like 10 months now. Let's pause for citation. Want to keep the show on point. December 2018, the Supreme Anti-Corruption Court of the Ukraine, acronym SAC, S-A-C-C. Once again, this is not the U.S. judicial system, and that's an important distinction. We're operating under Ukrainian law, and we're in the Ukrainian SAC court. The Supreme Anti-Corruption Court found that Artum Sintuk acted corruptly when he disclosed government records to DNC operatives during the 2016 presidential election. The SAC found Artum Sintuk guilty. Who the hell is Artum Sintuk? Good question. Glad you asked. At the time of the event, Artum Sintuk was the director of the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of the Ukraine. This shit just never gets old. You got that? The director of the National Anti-Corruption Bureau gets rung up on corruption charges. Specifically, Mr. Sintuk was found to have violated Article 45 of the Criminal Code of Ukraine. He also caught ancillary charges under Articles 206, 209, and 366. Once again, Criminal Code Ukraine. He was not alone, Mr. Sintuk. Nope, he didn't act alone. A Ukraine parliamentary member, Sergei Lushenko, was also involved. Sergei was found guilty on similar charges. Great. There's more corroborating evidence. There are DNC emails that confirm it as well. WikiLeaks, DNC hack. I'm sure everyone remembers all that fun stuff. Well, some of those emails were directly related to the DNC op in the Ukraine. Again, I got to pause and say, I feel like I've heard an awful lot about how serious and earth-stopping it is to get information on a political opponent from a foreign government. Has anyone been hearing about how the DNC needs to be put on trial for doing exactly that? No? Hmm. I wonder why that would be. 
I don't want to dwell on that obvious contradiction because it speaks for itself. I'd rather talk about what actually happened. Why were members of the Ukraine government trying to sway the election to Hillary Clinton? That's the kind of context that I think I can help provide. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to quickly distill a decade's worth of geopolitics into a five-minute summary. Please forgive the lack of nuance. We're just going for a basic overview here. Back in 2010, yes, 2010, Viktor Yukovych was elected president of the Ukraine. Wait, you know what? Let's get some nicknames going here to make things just a bit easier. I don't want to ask anyone to remember all of these Eastern Bloc names. Fuck, you're probably hearing most of them for the first time right now. I already hit you with Artum Sintuk, so let me stop the nonsense. In 2010, Viktor Yukovych was elected president of the Ukraine, but let's just call him Yanni like a a certain famous mustachioed flautist. So Yanni is elected president of the Ukraine in 2010. Yanni is a member of Ukraine's Party of Regents. If you're scoring at home, Party of Regents, commonly referred to as the pro-Russia party. That's a massive oversimplification, but it's perfectly fine for what we're doing here. Yanni won the 2010 election. Please note, Paul John Manafort Jr. was a lobbyist and a key figure in Yanni's successful campaign. 2010, Yanni, Paul Manafort, pro-Russian party of regents. They're in charge. And while Yanni was democratically elected, his government was corrupt as fuck. Shocking, right? It takes about four years, but sure enough, get to the spring of 2014, and there's an uprising, and Yanni is removed. Get off the Acropolis, asshole. It was May 2014, and the Ukraine decided to hold a special new presidential election. And, of course, U.S. political operatives were there, attempting to shape the outcome. That 2014 special election was won by a gentleman named Petro Poroshenko. Let's just call Poroshenko the high-pro-glow. You've got that look, I want to know. That look, the high-pro-glow. Unlike Yanni... Do you miss the whistle? Unlike Yanni, the High Pro Glow was associated with the Party of Ukraine Solidarity. Their platform is pro-NATO. Another oversimplification, but you get the point. Please note, the election of the High Pro Glow occurred exactly as the Obama administration was taking a more active interest in the Ukraine. U.S. State Department was actually putting their finger on the scale. Specifically, Victoria Nuland, was then Assistant Secretary of State, was in charge of U.S. efforts in the Ukraine. Let's be clear, though, the U.S. State Department interference in that election had overwhelming bipartisan support. Devout neocons like Senator John McCain, they were fully on board with installing the high pro-glow government. Further, Victoria Nuland happens to be married to Robert Kagan. Kagan is an infamous neocon brand. If you're not familiar with him, I encourage you to hit up that DuckDuckGo, Robert Kagan, K-A-G-E-N, probably someone you should be aware of. Please also note the Podesta group, that is brother Anthony Podesta and his colleague Vin Weber of Mercury Lobbying, they're active in the region during the same period. The high pro-glow government is installed in early summer 2014, but The high pro-glow is completely beholden to the various influences that got him elected. 
He's governing at the behest of the Obama administration and the Podesta lobbying circuit. If you want to go down your own rabbit hole of adventure, the man that most folks are beholden to is a billionaire, an oligarch, if you will, by the name of Oleg Deripsaka. Deripsaka's cash is pulling all the strings on the administration and the Podesta group, who are in turn pulling the strings on the high pro glow government, who is in turn enriching Deripsaka. Oleg, O-L-E-G, Deripsaka, D-E-R-I-P-S-A-K-A. So, how do you figure that kind of government was working out for the Ukrainian people? Not good? (laughs) Fucking not good at all, homie. The high pro glow was polling at approximately 6% approval rating (laughs) when the 2019 regularly scheduled Ukrainian presidential election came rolling around. The high pro glow was promptly defeated in the election by a comedian. (laughs) For real. (laughs) A comic (laughs) won the presidential election. The people hated the high pro glow so much that they literally elected a TV variety show comedian to be the president. For lack of a better analogy, Jimmy Fallon is now the president of the Ukraine. His real name is Volodymyr Zelensky, but I'm just going to call him Yimikov. A <laughs> Yimmy, Yimmy Fallon. Let's roll the tape. If you don't speak Ukrainian, that's the future president doing an improv style skit about how terrible female drivers are. The punchline is when Yimikov puts on a bike helmet to protect himself in the car. (laughs) Right. (sighs) Let's try and get this shit back on the rails. (laughs) Here's the recap. Circa 2010, Yanni is elected president of the Ukraine. He achieves this with the assistance of Paul Manafort. Circa 2014, after a revolutionary-type uprising to remove Yanni, the High Pro Glow is installed as the president of the Ukraine. He achieves that with assistance of Victoria Nuland of the U.S. State Department and additional support from the McCain faction and the Podesta lobbying circuit. Circa May 2019, Yamakov is elected president of the Ukraine. He apparently achieved that with no help from anyone because, as it turns out, The Ukrainian people were so sick of Yanni and the high pro glow stealing from them that they just decided they'd rather have a late night comedian run the country. You with me? That's the playing field. We haven't gotten to the call transcript yet, which we will, but please understand, I am not embellishing the nature of what we're dealing with. That shitty Manhattan trust fund kid from the reality TV show that became the president of the United States, Donald Trump. He had a phone call with Yimikov Fallon, the late-night TV comedian who now happens to be the president of the UK. <laughs> oh, it's so fucking great. I mean, what do you want me to do with this? I mean, it's got to be a simulation, right? How can we possibly take any of this shit seriously? Uh, once again, let me try and get my composure back. It's not going to be easy, though, because before we move to the transcript, Got to quickly unpack that DNC operative that was getting information on Manafort out of the Ukraine. Who was she? 
She was Alexandra Chalupa. Ali Chalupa. Perfect, right? Um, Chalupa was a consultant to the Democrat National Committee, the DNC. Pause for citation. Please access Federal Election Commission records. FEC online database shows Ali Chalupa was paid $412,000 by the DNC for her work in the Ukraine. It's a good gig if you can get it. So what's her story, this Ali Chalupa? Well, she is a Ukrainian-American. It turns out that she's been around the Ukrainian government essentially her whole life. She's an activist by nature. Doesn't matter if it's Yanni, High Pro Glow, Manafort, Newland, Podesta, Weber, Sintuk, Sayher. It doesn't matter. Chalupa knows it all. Another citation. I mentioned it briefly earlier, but please visit the WikiLeaks dump of DNC correspondence for all the greatness of Ali Chalupa. May I personally recommend going to Miss Chalupa's May 3rd, 2016 email to Louis Miranda. Louis, you may know, was the DNC communications director at the time. And what Allie does in that email is she confirms to Louis that she's working with various media outlets so she'll be able to flow the Manafort information that she's extracting from the Ukraine into the media to cause maximum damage to the Trump campaign. Sadly, Louis Miranda won't be around when that happens, though, because Louis is going to get ousted along with Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the rest of the Bernie cheating assholes when WikiLeaks dumps the emails. Miss Chalupa, however, is not at that level, so she's unscathed by any of those changes at the DNC. She just keeps plugging along, and sure enough, her Manafort work culminates in a New York Times article. Date. Line, August 15, 2016, the Time reports on a secret ledger from the Ukraine that lists all these various cash transactions of Paul Manafort. That's the ledger that Chalupa extracted out of the Ukraine. Then she works with the DNC comms folks to write up the story. They send it over to their lackeys at the New York Times, who of course publish it. Neat, huh? That's the kind of shit that happened throughout the 2016 election. Obviously, it's impossible to untangle all the contradictions when we look at the reporting here in Q4 2019. If asking a foreign government for information on your opponent is this unholy act that threatens our very existence, then don't we all have to disown the DNC because that's exactly what they did? You can read their own internal communications while they were doing it. That aside, let's stop for another important distinction. Ali Chilupa, the DNC operative, she is not accused or charged of any wrongdoing in the Ukraine. There is no evidence that the DNC was trying to barter or outright bribe the Ukrainian officials into giving up the information. They appear to have been working ideologically, likely with an angle towards being seen as fans of Clinton when she was inevitably elected. <laughs> hey, how'd that work out? <laughs> Boom. Still important distinction, though. Chalupa's not accused of any crime here. Asking for the info, that's pretty much fine. The government officials giving it up, though, mm, not so fine. Now, let's go pull the transcript of the call between Trump and Yemakov and see what all of the controversy is about. Let me get highly specific for just one moment. I'm going to use the word transcript as a term of convenience. However, the document is, in fact, a memorandum of telephone conversation. That is acronym TELCON. 
It is not a verbatim transcript of the discussion. The text that they release in this PDF are the notes and recollections of the Situation Room duty officers who listen to the call and memorialize it. If you recall from the Big Bob Big Investigation podcast shows, the Situation Room is a skiff. The call occurs July 25th, 2019. It is between President Zelensky, Yimakov of the Ukraine, and President Trump. Let's go to page three of their conversation. That's where the relevant excerpts begin. Trump, quote, There are a lot of things that went on, the whole situation. I think you are surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I would like to have the Attorney General call you or your people, and I would like to get to the bottom of it. End quote. I take this to be a clear inference to the 2016 election interference. The whole situation means the Ukrainian officials that were working with the DNC to provide information on Manafort illegally. When he says surrounding yourself with some of the same people, I take that to mean that Trump believes there are other Ukrainian officials that are still in the government that would do that exact same thing again. So he wants to send Attorney General Barr over to do a little proactive work on that. Obviously, there is an element of self-interest there. However, investigating and preventing corruption is a completely valid discharge of the president's duties. It doesn't matter whether it's domestically or abroad. In fact, the United States and the Ukraine have a mutual legal assistance agreement to investigate such crime. Pause for another citation. The United States has these types of mutual legal assistance agreements with tons of countries. It's basic diplomacy. It's not unique. It's not special. MLA agreements are available from the U.S. government printing office. The agreement with the Ukraine specifically is executed on November 10th, 1999. If you want to use that date, it'll make your search in the U.S. GPO site a bit easier. Turning to the timing of the call, that doesn't really appear suspicious either. Yimikov was sworn in as president Uh, late May 2019. Now about two months later, Yimikov's got his administration up and running. It's late July and he's got a call with the Don. Now we arrive at another one of those Myers-Briggs thinker versus feeler moments. Objectively, there's nothing wrong with dispatching the attorney general to speak to the new administration of the Ukraine regarding the documented corruption that occurred under the old administration of the Ukraine. Those activities by the president and the attorney general are authorized and proper pursuant to the mutual legal assistance agreement. However, if people would rather be emotional about it and stand in the town square screaming orange man bad, that's cool too. I guess I should pause to make sure I'm perfectly clear. I am not trying to persuade anyone of anything. And that came up on Twitter not long ago. These shows that I do... They're documentaries. I share the findings of my research. It's like, here's what's in the record. Obviously, I'm doing it in a really entertaining way. I'm a highly skilled host, producer, engineer, as you can see. This show, my podcast, it's built on intellectual honesty. It's the only bond that I'm interested in having between me and the listener. I won't bullshit you. If the content helps you to be a more informed person, great. Do what you like. Back to the transcript. Trump says something else on page three, and it's really, really interesting. Quote, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what's happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say CrowdStrike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people. The server, they say Ukraine has it. End quote. 
Huh? That's a lot to unpack. And Trump is such an inarticulate ass. We have to decode all of that half-sentence gibberish. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation. They say CrowdStrike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, the server. They say Ukraine has it. That is baffling. Um, Trump is saying CrowdStrike, the vendor that reviewed the DNC server after the alleged intrusion by Russian hackers, CrowdStrike is somehow linked to the Ukrainian oligarchs and one of them has the server? It makes no fucking sense. I'm sorry. What the hell is the game show host trying to say here? As close as I could get is if you pour through the Mueller indictments as I have in the GRU indictment, that's the Russian agency that was alleged to have hacked the DNC and stole the emails. Mueller's indictment of the GRU, there are references to a middle server a server that existed somewhere between the hackers and the ultimate targets. Could that be what Trump is talking about? I don't know. I just don't know. Um, There's more info out there on this, but sadly it's locked away. Sean Henry, CrowdStrike, who was interviewed by the House Select Committee, that transcript has been classified since December 2017. I don't know if we're ever going to see it. If you're not aware of such things, the chief security officer and president of CrowdStrike, Sean Henry, Oh, he just happens to be a former FBI guy. (laughs) You follow that? The dude who did all the hands-on for the DNC server? Oh, just randomly. Happens to be the former executive assistant director of the FBI. Um, He's probably down with DGovX, but since that transcript is held up, I've kept him out of all of my DGovX conversations because without the corroboration from a legit transcript from the House Select Committee, it's really speculation, so I'm going to close the book on that. It would be great, however, to finally have some certainty on what actually happened with the DNC server. I'm pretty skeptical that Trump's got it nailed here. I don't think Ukrainian oligarchs have a CrowdStrike server. Um, I guess you never know. Obviously, that's something that should be investigated, though, provided, again, the whole server thing isn't just the Don not knowing what the fuck he's talking about. Would either surprise you? As far as what's really in the transcript, on page three, what do we have? Well, we have Trump telling Yimikov that the attorney general is going to need to have a relationship with the Ukraine to make sure there's no shenanigans in 2020 the way there were in 2016. And that is a perfectly fair and reasonable discharge of his duties. Once again, if you're hung up on the whole orange man bad trip, I get that you don't want to hear it. But Donald Trump did not make Ali Chalupa and the DNC go get information on Manafort from the Ukrainian officials. That's the story. That's the first prong of the entire Ukrainian mania thing. It's the president sending the AG on a valid anti-corruption matter. Trump does mix in that bizarre favor question about the CrowdStrike server, as we discussed. Who knows what that all means? I think we're ready to move to the second prong. It's time for the family Biden. All right, this is pretty straightforward also. However, there's one really weird wrinkle at the end. But let's start at the start. Burisma Holdings is a natural gas firm in the Ukraine. 
Rosemont Seneca Partners is a private firm in the United States. Hunter Biden is a partner at Rosemont and a board member at Burisma. Banking records show from the spring of 2014 through the fall of 2015, Burisma was transferring approximately $166,000 per month to Rosemont. We just covered the presidential lineage. As soon as the high pro glow is installed, what do you know? Hunter Biden's in the Ukraine drinking from the trough. That's an amazing coincidence, isn't it? But wait a second. Why would we have access to banking records? <laughs> you guessed it. Barisma Holdings is corrupt as fuck, and they caught cases all over the globe. Rosemont Seneca has also caught cases, specifically Rosemont partner Devin Archer. Let's roll through some citations. Number one, Devin Archer caught a case in SDNY, that's Federal District Court Manhattan, that required Seneca wire transfers, among other financial records, to be disclosed. Guess what was in them? All Burisma payments to Hunter Biden. Burisma, for their part, have caught cases in the UK Central Criminal Court, where evidence was presented by the UK Serious Fraud Office, the SFO. Not the airport here in San Francisco, but the serious fraud office in the United Kingdom. Relevant documents included the financial institution records as well as affidavits of the Burisma individuals involved. Pause to be clear, not unlike Ali Chalupa, who was not accused of any wrongdoing, these documents here in the UK criminal court, they do not show that Hunter Biden is involved in any of the fraudulent Burisma activity. He's not directly involved. He's just a highly paid political figurehead for a company that does a bunch of corrupt business. Specifically at issue were 38 lucrative oil and gas exploration permits that Burisma had acquired through various corrupt practices. Back over in the Ukraine, the Office of Prosecutor General, the PGO, opened a criminal proceeding. And while nobody was ever actually held accountable, Burisma ends up paying a large amount of back taxes. It's not unlike the Wall Street derivatives collapse, where none of the CEOs are ever held accountable. Burisma settled for a reported $180 million, but here's the catch. There was one prosecutor in the Ukraine Prosecutor General Office that apparently did want to pursue the CEO level. And that's what leads us to the former Vice President Joe Biden. And I think people might be aware of this, but here's what Joe said on video. Roll it. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. Yes, that's the former vice president, Joseph Biden, bragging about strong-arming Ukrainian officials into firing the prosecutor. Neat, huh? Biden, for whatever reason, thought that it was bright to get in front of a camera and talk about how he threatened the high-pro glow into firing the prosecutor that was looking into the Burisma executives. <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, he's right there on video. There's no verbal clutter. You can hear him say, hey, you know what? The Obama administration is going to pull a billion dollars in U.S. loan guarantees if you don't fire the fuck out of this guy who's investigating my son's company. Well, son of a bitch, he got fired. Of course, Biden claims that the prosecutor needed to be fired because the prosecutor was corrupt. Ugh, everyone loves the projection game. 
prosecutor investigating your kid's company for corruption? Call the prosecutor corrupt and demand that he be fired. (laughs) Oh, that's the web that we're in over in the Ukraine. For the record, the prosecutor that was looking into corruption was Viktor Shokin. Let's call him the Shogun. So the Shogun gets fired by the High Pro Glow, and then the High Pro Glow replaces the Shogun with a gentleman whose name is Yuri Lutsenko. Let's call him the Lutz. The Lutz does not have a law degree, and the Lutz has never prosecuted a case. (laughs) Ukrainia mania, brother! (laughs) Did you get that? So the Shogun wants to look into the Burisma CEOs who have been corruptly nailing down all of these gas and oil exploration permits. But the high pro glow at Joe Biden's direction is going to shut that down and he's going to replace Shogun with the Lutz, who doesn't have a law degree and has never prosecuted a case. (laughs) Oh, shit. Oh, it's even better. Uh, American lawyer, former U.S. Deputy Assistant Attorney General John Beretta, he's one of the key attorneys for Burisma. (laughs) Oh, just letting you know what's in the record, squad. Draw your own conclusions. Let's get back to the Trump Yemikov transcript. A relevant part for the family Biden prong reads as follows. Trump, quote, the other thing. There's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into that, it sounds horrible to me, end quote. Yeah, well, it sounds horrible to me, too. And since we have the video of Joe Biden bragging that he got the prosecutor fired, there's just no debate about what happened. Instead, we have to pivot to Biden's claim that it was the prosecutor that was the corrupt one, and that's why he had to be fired. Barisma was doing everything on the up and up. Well, there's some significant problems with that defense, starting with the fact that Barisma was not doing everything on the up and up. And there's also an affidavit from the Shogun available in the record, and it makes very clear what he was doing at the time he was fired. The Bidens are in a lot of trouble on this, which is probably why all of this ended up in the news, because the only possible defense the Bidens can mount at this point is to create enough public pressure to stop an investigation before it starts. Not much of a defense, huh? Uh, The old obstruction of justice move. There's a blast from the past, right? Remember how big obstruction of justice used to be? Well, here's some legit obstruction of justice. Everything that's going down right now, they're attempts to prevent a legitimate investigation into not only this Biden-Burisma prong, but the 2016 DNC interference prong as well. These are rats and the ship is sinking. In sum and substance, it is undeniable that Burisma Holdings was nailing down exploration permits by using a wide array of corrupt tactics. It is undeniable that Hunter Biden was on the Burisma Board of Directors. And at such time that someone began to look into the conduct of Burisma, here comes Daddy Joe Biden, the Vice President of the United States of America, to let the high pro glow know that that kind of shit, that ain't allowed. Son of a bitch, he got fired. And now the Bidens are hopelessly pinned. And that's why the best they can do are these crutch arguments, like saying that all of this is a right-wing conspiracy, or claiming that Trump is corrupt for asking the Ukraine to investigate any of this. It's already been debunked. Yeah, not so much, Joe. Not so much. 
there's a lot more folks than just the Bidens on the spit here. And that's why we end up going all the way through the looking glass with a fake whistleblower. <laughs> yeah, an individual who didn't even have firsthand knowledge of the call. All of that so the Democrat-controlled House could get the impeachment theater thing rolling and then have their media lackeys force it on all of us every minute of every day. It's all phony. It's all phony on its face. It's all phony at its roots. And the theatrics only put a spotlight on the phoniness of it all. That's why there's been no floor vote on impeachment, because there's no way to draft legitimate articles of impeachment from that call transcript. Even worse, if anyone looks at the underlying context, like we just did, they're going to see exactly what a farce all this shit is. Um, That's why the impeachment inquiry is all off the record and hidden away. Just collusion all over again. Another disinformation campaign. Great. As I said earlier, there is an obvious element of self-interest here by Team Trump. It's fair to point that out. It's fair to question if the administration would be so gung-ho to send the attorney general to investigate if it was Lindsey Gray. Wait, bad example. If it was Trey Gowdy's kid sitting on a board, that's a fair point. But what Biden and the House Democrats are doing here is they're trying to build a firewall based on that fair point. They're trying to propagandize an idea that the Trump administration is somehow barred from investigating any of the whacked out shit that happened from the 2016 election to present. And that's really what this is about, because the FISA report from the OIG, that's going to be along any moment now. And DGovX got caught red-handed. The only hope left is trying to convince the public that Trump doesn't get to investigate or prosecute any of the shit that went down. Nope, can't do that. That's a threat to democracy. Anyone that was involved in the whole collusion hoax, anyone who defrauded the court, we're going to need to overlook all of that because orange man bad. And it's going to get really crazy. Oh, speaking of really crazy, before we go, remember how I said there was a bizarre wrinkle to Ukrainian mania? Well, there was. And that bizarre wrinkle is the Lutz. Remember the Lutz from a minute ago? The guy that the High Pro Globe put into the prosecutor's job after they fired Shogun? The guy without the law degree, the guy who's never prosecuted cases? Well, you'll never guess who showed up at the Lutz's door trying to get information on this whole Biden thing. If your guess is the wooden-toothed jackass Rudy Giuliani, your guess is absolutely fucking right. For whatever reason, Rudy ends up going to talk to the Lutz trying to acquire information that would be helpful to the cause. If we can pause and go back to that um, legal agreement, the mutual legal assistance agreement that we talked about, it is absolutely reasonable, absolutely prudent for the Attorney General of the United States of America to investigate verified corruption like the types that have been found in the Ukraine. Nowhere in that fucking document is the president's private counsel allowed to wing on over to Kiev and start asking questions of the Lutz. No, that's not what's in there. So if Rudy gets hung up on this, it's going to be fucking glorious. We'll have to wait and see. Two of his associates caught Farah Beef's If you recall from the Big Bob Big Investigation podcast, FARA Foreign Agents Registration Act, it's a chump charge. It's a bullshit thing that the feds use when they want to get after somebody. They try and squeeze you with that until they can get something that's more legit. We have to wait to see how that case unfolds. 
the Lutz, even though the high pro glow has already been ousted and Yimikov is now the president, the Lutz is kind of a carryover. He's still in the government as recently as August 2019. So when Rudy comes calling, the Lutz decides that he's going to try and pass Rudy fake information about Hunter and Joe Biden. The Lutz has never prosecuted a case, but the Lutz is good at the game, man. So he's trying to stuff Rudy with fake information that would be incriminating against the Bidens, all in the hope that Rudy will use it, and then they'll be able to pull the rug out from under Rudy, and any future evidence, no matter how legitimate, will be pre-tainted by the fact that idiot Rudy went to the Ukraine to try and get dirt about the Bidens from Lutz. There's the dirt op. What the fuck is Rudy doing? What a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And that's what's going on in the Ukraine. I push my fingers into my eyes. It's the only thing that slowly stops the ache. But it's made of all the things I have to do. 